Good morning. A while back, I don't remember how long ago, it was probably a year ago, uh, at least Bill and Steve and I were sitting around, we were talking about, oh, what we were going to preach on, where we were going to go, what we, you know, kind of making long term, what do we feel God is impressing upon us to speak to you about. Um, we got on the topic of what would you preach if you if you had one sermon to preach or if it happened to be your last sermon to preach. And this is it. I hope, you know, I don't know what that means, but this was mine. Uh, we're at a point in our study of the authentic Christian. Uh, you know, where. We, we, we looked at the authentic church, and now we're looking at the authentic, what, authentic Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? And what's the point? What's the purpose? And we're at that point now which I would consider to be the pivot point of the gospel. This is the, the truth that I think Satan tries to hide from each and every believer. He gets us bound up on on uh, doctrinal things and theological things about, you know, how did, how did we become a Christian? Did we choose or, did, or were we predetermined? You know, do we, we wrangle about gifts and which one's more important and are you saved if you have this? You know, all that stuff is just worthless compared to what God says is true about you and I. All that stuff, I believe Satan uses to keep us from really understanding what we read in here. You've heard me say it before, don't read what you believe, believe what you read. And that's going to be our challenge this morning, is we're going to take a look at what does the Bible say about those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I want to back up because, you know, we have to kind of have in our mind where we've, where we've come from in this series. And, and we started at the beginning, which is always a good place to start. We started with how God designed man to be in the first place, fashioning him out of the, out of the dust of the ground and then breathing into the man the breath of life, literally imparting or giving up spiritually from his life to man's life. He breathed into the man, spiritually imparted divine inspiration to the man. And the man's spirit came alive, and it says that man became a living being, his body, soul, and spirit now all alive to function as God designed him to function. The Holy Spirit of God now present in the human spirit of the man to give wisdom and power to do what the man was created to do, and that was to bear the image of God. We're not a body with a spirit. We're a spirit living in a body. We're each unique in our personality, our soul, 
but we're designed to all have the same source of light and life within us, and that is the Spirit of God, who will, who will give wisdom and guidance as to how to live life. That's what they had in the garden. But the purpose of man was to be in a relationship with God. That's what he created mankind for, was a relationship to have with him. And God, being love, desired a loving relationship. Well, love demands a choice, and so God gave him, all, gave him a choice to love him, which included everything. Remember, of all the trees of the garden, you can freely eat. That just wasn't his diet. That was, that was God declaring... I created this for you. Let's go explore it and let's go have a ball. I created wonders for you. I gave you taste buds. I gave you, I gave you senses. I, I, I gave you the ability to see colors and light. I gave you the ability to enjoy a relationship. I gave you all kinds of, 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 of emotions to just make your, your, your life fulfilling. Let's go explore but I have to give you a choice to validate those choices as expressions of love to me and a desire to trust me and hang out with me. I have to give you a choice to not love me, otherwise you're just a robot. And your choices really won't be an expression of love. They'll just be all you can do. So I want them to come from your heart. So I'm going to give you a choice to not love me. So I'm putting this tree in the center of the garden, the tree that contains the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree represents a choice you will make to end our relationship and thereby decree that you want to be the author, you want to be the determinator, determinant of what is good and what is evil. In other words, that choice will declare to me that you don't want to continue our relationship. In the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. My life and your life will no longer be joined. My spirit and your spirit will no longer be joined. Well, they made that choice as we looked at, um, and they separated themselves from God. And there was a barrier of sin now that stood between mankind and God. A barrier of sin that, that though God desired a relationship with man, man had forfeited that and he could not have it because he was now filled with sin. And what fellowship does light have with darkness? They do not coexist. And so man was dead in his trespasses and his sins. And, and he knew nothing of God he knew nothing, therefore, of himself, and so he began to look to the world to glean as to how to replace what, who God was and how to replace what God had, had uh, provided. Love, acceptance, significance, and security. He turned to the world in his own effort, in his own means, leaning on his own wisdom to determine how to get full and content, how to make life work. And it, it culminated in the, in, in the worst of the worst. Immediately, man became a murderer. Immediately, man became self-focused. Immediately, he fell so far from the image of God that he was so confused that he couldn't even tell what was true and what was error, what was obvious and what was not. Leaning on his own understanding, he'd believe anything and did and acted out on that. And we, 
We know from Romans it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or we know from Romans that there is none righteous, no, not one. Everybody was dead spiritually, born in sin. So God set about to reacquaint himself with the people through various means, signs and, and symbols and, and allegories, through events, through his names, through, through setting aside a people that he would call his own with personal interaction within him, even, even coming up to a place where he said, okay, if you want to know who I am, this is who I am. And he gave them the Ten Commandments so that they would understand what righteousness and holiness is, what they were created to be, and what that law did was reveal to them that they were far from what they were created to be. God is not a murderer. He's not a liar. He's not a thief. He's not an adulterer. He's the only God. The Ten Commandments described who God was, and as such, it revealed to them, wow, we're not that. So we'll try hard to become that. And they set about to try to keep these commandments to measure up to this standard that they believe God had for their, uh, for their relationship, all of which failed. We looked a couple weeks ago at how the law actually aroused the desire, the passion of sin within them. But what the, what the law did was reveal to every man that he was spiritually dead. He couldn't keep it. He was in sin. So in steps Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks, or a couple of months here. Actually, I was just counting. It's eight Sundays from now. Um, or we have eight Sundays before we celebrate Christmas. But anyway, uh, don't start thinking about that. But we celebrate the advent of Jesus Christ, God as a man, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, the creator, stepping out of eternity into time to reveal to us the design that they were clueless about. And he functioned as a man, inspired by the Spirit of God. He said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. Everything I do, I do by direction of my Father. How? Why? Remember, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God came upon Mary. She conceived, bore a son. His name was Jesus. God is a man, declaring to us what a real man looks like. He came for that purpose, but so much more. He came to fix man's problem. He came to remove that barrier of sin that stood between him and, him and mankind. Man could not pay his own debt because the wages of sin is death, and he, and he was already dead. He had nothing to pay. So Jesus brought the ransom. Man was held captive in the bondage of, of sin. He was held captive in, to, to the, the devil himself. Remember he said of those uh, who he spoke to, all of which were dead 
spiritually. He said, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's the liar and the father of lies. And he died. Bill talked about that last week. And I hope if you were here, you caught it. If you weren't here, I'll tell you the, the summation, the point is that he died. He who knew no sin became our sin. We tend to look at that physical crucifixion that happened on, on a cross like this, only much more rugged and much more ugly. He died. But before he gave up his life physically in becoming our sin for us, he suffered the worst thing man could, could suffer. He was separated from the Father. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? And he hung there for three hours, a God-forsaken man, as the whole world was in becoming our sin. And at the end, he said it is finished. Literally paid in full. Your sin and mine. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He, 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 he knew us before the foundation of the earth. He knew what we were going to cost, and he paid it in, that, in those three hours the fullness of what sin cost. And then he died physically. Now here's where I think Christians get hung up. They look at the cross. Uh, I don't mean to step on anybody's toes. Well, yes, I do. Um, I'll be honest. So many Christians are stuck at the cross. We hang it around our necks. We decorate our houses. We, we, we use that as a symbol of Christianity. And, I, and I, I, I'm not dissing that except for the sense of that's what they killed him on. That's what he was willing to pay. That's, that's where he died. I don't, I don't have little models of cancer cells that killed my mom. You know, that was the instrument of crucifixion, the most horrific death known to man. And we know that, and we look at that, and we go, oh, I'm so unworthy. And you know what? Our sin is what put him there. But here's what happens to Christians is they can't get past that because, you know what? He's not there anymore. He's not dead anymore. We got to get on the other side of the cross. On the other side of the cross is life. That represents death. And you know what Satan does? He keeps us locked in death. And he, he accuses us of the, the ways that we, we function when we act like an idiot, like we don't know who God is. And he keeps us in the dark about who we are and the availability of God to us to do the things that God wants to do. And when we don't do those things, he accuses us and we, we come to the cross over and over and over again. Oh, God, please forgive me, please. Oh, God, I'm such a schmuck. You know, would you just, you know, I'm... I'm so unworthy. I'm so, uh, I, just, I, just kill me now. 
and we come back and we come back and we come back. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. When he went to the grave, he took our sin with him and he buried it. And you know where it is? It's as far as the east is from the west from him, which means it's as far as the east is from the west from us. Now, yes, we're still in, on this planet. We're still fulfilling the time. We're, we're still in that, that gap between uh, uh, his death and, and his coming again. We're still messing up. But you know what? We've been prepaid. We've been pre-washed. And so many Christians come to Jesus knowing that they've messed up and they hang out on the other side of the cross. Oh, God, please forgive me. They're asking God for something they already have. And Satan keeps them in the bondage now to their sin and their unworthiness and the realization, oh, man, I've, I sinned against God. I don't want to go talk to him again about this same thing. Here's what you do. When you know you've messed up, you confess it to God because he's right there with you. He knows about it. He paid for it. So talk to him about it. Oh, Lord, look at what I did. I, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, I can believe it because I've done it before. Lord, I, thank you that I'm forgiven. Why do I do this? What was I thinking that led me to believe that this was a good thing to do? Now you're talking. Now you're doing business with God. Now you can do something about it because you're going to keep doing it unless you change your mind about it. And what do you change your mind to? That's what Satan hides from the Christian. He keeps us stuck viewing ourselves as a sinner. And brothers and sisters, we're not sinners anymore. And I'll explain that in a minute. But what happened at the cross? Well, turn to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to run through some verses here. I hope you can keep up with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that what? We would become righteous. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, after he talks about what deception will do to a person and how it'll play out in what they do. And he lists all this vile, gross, behavioral stuff that people do. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Did you notice the verb tenses? Washed, sanctified, justified, past tense. It happened at the cross. We were washed. Why did we have to be washed? What had to be washed? The sin had to be washed away from us in order for the Holy Spirit of God to come and re-inhabit our humanity. Something had to be done about that barrier. And when he said, it is finished, that 
that veil in the temple that represented that barrier, it ripped from top to bottom, signifying God did it, and it wasn't there anymore. There is no barrier. That's the only way we could come. God had to clean up the, the, our spirit. He had, to, he, had to, he had to take away the sin in order to indwell us. Remember, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He did it. It is finished. Done. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The cross brought reconciliation. The cross is where Jesus, who knew no sin, became our sin. He bore our sin in his body on the cross. Now that we might, that now having died to sin, we might be raised with him, living in him. That's what happened. We were reconciled to God, not saved by the cross. We were reconciled by God through the death of his son. We're saved by what? His life. His life. Because after he said it is finished, the Spirit or the, the Father extended his forgiveness to all of us through the sacrifice of the Son, and it washed that sin away from him so that he could once again take up true life. The Spirit of God could once again inhabit his humanity, raise the body from the grave to demonstrate that he was reconciled back to the Father, that the payment of sin had been made, and that he was alive. He was out of the grave and back in business. I wish we could come up with a symbol of an empty tomb to hang around our necks. I asked Donovan in the first service to see if he could come up with something, but, you know, the, the tomb is empty. He's, he's not dead. He's alive. And it says we were raised with him. So guess what? You're alive. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are alive. You've been set free. The bondage of sin has been broken. In fact, you're a new creation. Awesome. Goes on to say this, but God, being rich in mercy, this is in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. And and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come we might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith in him, and that not of yourselves, it's not a works of the law, it's not anything that you did or earned or anything, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. It's God and God alone. Remember Nicodemus. When Jesus was on the planet being a real man and subsequently telling the truth about God in everything that he did and said it was from the Father. Nicodemus, religious guy, 
comes to Jesus by night because he's been watching him. And he says, no one can do what you do unless God is with him. And he was right. He saw something different about Jesus. He saw an ability. He saw wisdom. He saw truth. He saw power. He saw love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that no, no one else possessed. And he said, what's your secret? Jesus had an interesting response. One that, you know, it kind of, for poor Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was a guy like everybody else. He couldn't comprehend spiritual truth because he was spiritually dead. He could only understand his environment, the world around him. He made his determinations. He, he based his truth and error on what he felt and saw and, and tasted. And, and so when Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What? How can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Wow, mom had a hard time the first time. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the Spirit, or unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh, well, that's flesh. That you qualify there, Nicodemus, you're on the planet. But that which is born of the Spirit, now that's spirit. Marvel not that I tell you, you must be born again. He's saying, Nicodemus, there's a part of you that hasn't come alive yet. There's a part of you deader than a hammer. It's your spirit. And then he goes on just a short time later in John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to give what man needed, but he couldn't comprehend. That's why they hung him on the cross. They didn't get it. But having been hung on the cross, having accomplished what he did, having been raised from the dead, now uh, ascending to heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit back into the man which he created in the first place, for the first time on that day of Pentecost, were real men and women the way God designed them to be in the garden. Jesus didn't come to get us out of hell and into heaven. He came to get himself out of heaven and back into us by removing the barrier that kept us separated. And with Jesus back in the man, the man can be back in normality. He can be back in God. And he can tell the truth about God. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is where I think Satan trips us up. We're so used to performance-based acceptance. We're so used to having to behave right in order to to gain love or acceptance or, or earn significance of some kind. We're so wired to that that we, 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 ask, we ask Jesus into our life and we become a Christian, but now we go to work trying to earn God's favor. And you know how foolish that is? What we do is we go right back to the law and say, okay, I'm going to make another run at this. I'm newly inspired I owe God something, and I'm grateful for what he gave me, and I want, I want, and we, and we, out of the same energy of our flesh, we try to, we, we try to clean ourselves up, and you know what it, you know what it is? It's religion. 
And you know what it does to people? It repulses them. Always has, always will. People think they run from God because of religious Christians who, who, who force their morality and whatnot on them. And, and you know, instead of, how did Jesus do it? He lived and loved. He was graceful. He was truthful. And he was sacrificial. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. As my Father sent me, I now send you. Because that's the measure of a real man. That's what a real man does. That's what Jesus did. Here's how that's possible. Therefore, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled, to him, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We were reconciled back to God. We're a new creation. The cross reconciled us back to God. The resurrection, his life, saved us to a ministry of reconciliation. And how is that going to happen? The same way it did with Nicodemus. As people see Christ in you and me. As they see us live a victory over sin. As they see us live with hope as they see what they're longing for in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, gentleness and self-control, the fruit of God's Spirit pouring out through us, they're going to wonder, just like Nicodemus did, where did you get that? There's something different about you. Now, I don't say that as a, as a, a guilt thing to say, hey, get to it. No, this is something that you can't do unless God is doing it through you, but this is something you will do if you know the truth about who you are. We don't do in order to become. We've become in order to do. In Romans 8, this is, this is what people, I, I think, don't understand. It's what they're looking toward instead of accepting it as a reality now. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Ephesians 4.24, we're told to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Brothers and sisters, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are awesome. You are awesome. You're as holy as you're ever going to get. You're created in righteousness and holiness of truth. In your spirit, you are alive with the life of God, and the Spirit of God dwells within you. You're a royal priest at a holy nation. You're an ambassador of Christ. 
You're a prince or a princess, the son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and an heir to everything he has. You are awesome. And I, I tell that to people and they say, well, that kind of puts the focus on us, isn't it? That, isn't that kind of a, self, a, a, a self-centered gospel? You know what? Here's the reality. If you don't believe that to be true, that you're a new creation and all the things that God tells you is true about, if you don't believe that to be true, you're going to be defeated. Because the reality is when you know that you're awesome, that you know that it's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within you and he's made you new to look like him, when you know all these things are true, guess who you forget about? Guess who you can quit thinking about? You. And you can get your eyes back up out here to serve because you know you've got someone to serve with you know you've got the resources of Jesus Christ for every need that you're confronted with in whatever situation you're in he'll give you the words to speak he's got everything so you don't have to worry about yourself you can you can you can forget about you. That's what got us into so much trouble. That's why we kept dropping over cliffs and running into things and whatnot, because we're walking around like this. Oh, me, get here, fill me, fill me, fill me. We're full. We've got everything that pertains to life and godliness because we've got Jesus Christ dwelling within us. Do you believe it? Do you know it? Are you trying to get full or are you operating from being full it's an endless supply of everything that we need and with a quick illustration if i'm raised I, I, this morning i the second service i said if i was uh abandoned in the jungles of asia and was taken in by a, a bunch of baboons why well, a little kid came and told me afterwards that baboons don't live in Asia, they live in Africa. So <laughs> I stand corrected. I get abandoned in Africa as an infant. And a bunch of baboons take me in. And there's a female baboon that lost her little, whatever you call a little baby baboon. Uh, and she sees me there and she scoops me up and she treats me as her own and and somehow I survive and 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 eight years now have passed and I've been raised up I've been running with it with these baboons I mean the the appearance is not a hard stretch but you know in eight years what have I learned the way of a baboon so you come into Africa and, and, and you see these baboons running by and all of a sudden you see this clumsy, funny-looking one trailing them, falling out of the tree and, you know, making all kinds of weird noises and whatnot. And you go, wow. That's not a baboon. That's a kid. Check it out. That kid thinks he's a baboon. How do you know what I'm thinking? What am I doing? I'm acting like a baboon. I don't know any different. So you catch me, and you try to rehab me. 
So you give me a book on how to live as a human being. Suppose I'm able to understand it. Is that going to help me? I don't believe I'm a human being. Why would I want a book on how to live like a human being? I'm a baboon. The only way you're going to rehab me is to change my mind. It's not going to do me any good to have you convince me I'm an ostrich. You've got to convince me I'm a human being. And if you convince me I'm a human being, if you change my perspective of myself if, uh, to what is true, then I will start to behave like a human being. Remember, the Scripture says, as a man reasons within himself, so he is. As in water, face reflects the image of a face. So the beliefs of a man reveal the man. If I know I'm a human being, I'm going to act like one. I'm going to put off the ways of the baboon, and I'm going to put on the truth of who I am as a human being, and my behavior will tell the truth about my identity. Does that make sense? We were raised up by the baboon. We were raised up by the devil to teach us how to be self-centered and to glean from the world the things that, that will fill us up instead of God, the things that will never work, the things that will put us on an endless search. But God says he's made us brand new. We're a new creation in Christ. And what's left for us? Renew our mind. We got to believe it. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's what that verse is talking about. We walk by faith in that what God says about himself and about us is true. And if you don't believe you are who you are, you'll keep living like the baboon. Trust me, you will. But the Bible refers to you over 50 times as a saint, which literally means holy one. If God repeats something twice, it's important. It's stand up and take notice. 50 times plus. He refers to those who believe, those who are born again, as saints. You know how many times he calls you a sinner? Zip. Because you're not. Doesn't mean you don't. You will every time you forget who you are or don't know who you are and you operate out of the baboon way of thinking. But it doesn't make you that. I can act like a baboon, but I'm not a baboon. You can act like a sinner, but you're not a sinner. But you can, you can function as a living being, alive with the Spirit of God, and do what God created you to do in bearing His image when you walk by faith and you put your confidence in the Word of God that what He says is true. In your bulletin, or is an insert that says, who am I? I want to encourage you to take that home. I don't want you to believe this because I'm telling you. I want you to believe it because it says it in his book. Take it home. Read through those scriptures. Make sure they're in there. Take them in their context. Check who he's talking to. The letters are written to the saints who are at Ephesus, the saints at Colossae. In other words, the believers. They're written to you. Check it out. I'm not making this stuff up, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for who you are. And thank you that you've done what you've done. And thank you that the work is finished. What, the work that remains is us believing you by faith that you have changed us and that you make yourself available to us. We, I pray, Father, that you would find us making ourselves available to you, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service of worship. Father, may you find us worshiping this week, and we'll trust you for the outcome of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day, saints.